for the week of January 10th, 2022. This is the Book of Boba Fett TV Talk from Star Wars TV Talk, where we dive deep into every Book of Boba Fett Disney Plus episode. Today, we are reviewing the second chapter of the Book of Boba Fett, The Tribes of Tatooine, in which Boba Fett learns that the assassins were sent by the mayor of Mos Espa and decides to confront them. In doing so, he learns that there are challengers to the throne formerly held by Jabba the Hutt. Dave, what do you think of this episode? Well, this episode started off really well. I like the fact that last time they started off in the past, and this time they started off in the present. I don't know if they're going to keep going back and forth like that, but it was nice to get a little bit of a change up on that. Um, seeing uh, seeing how Boba is starting to handle things in the present uh, and in the past is, is still, it's always just fun. It's just fun. It is a lot of fun, and to help our listeners out, we'll keep the same format that we kept uh, last week where we will discuss the flashbacks before the modern day event so we're kind of doing the opposite of what um happened in the show but let's go ahead and dive into this flashback that we get with boba fett the last um you know of course this episode and then the premiere every time he's in uh you know that little healing crowd to whatever you want to call it. He is experiencing these dreams, which take him back to a place where we learn a little bit more about this version of Boba Fett. And we kind of dove deep into that in last week's episode. This is a very different uh, Boba Fett and that there's kind of this unexpected friendship between Boba Fett and the Sand People. And so in my opinion, this whole portion of the episode was really good because when we first see Boba Fett in The Mandalorian, he's already skilled um, in the combat of the Sand People. Now, what did you think of like this whole um, Boba being really kind of like an honorary accepted Sand person? I think it's a nice touch, to be quite honest. I, I was really wondering like how he learned how to use uh, the gaffy stick and when we saw him in the Mandalorian. Because that's just something you always associate with the sand people. You see that at the sand person weapon, period, until Boba had it in the Mandalorian. So it, it's nice to know that through the through the flashbacks and the history that we're getting of Boba Fett after uh, Return of the Jedi, that uh, it, it's grounded in some sort of, of lore. He just didn't figure out how to use one of these things. He was taught... The martial art, just like any martial artist nowadays is taught by their Shotokan or Kung Fu or whatever they're, they're learning. Uh, they were they were shown, they were taught, and so was he. And so that's, that's really good to know that they're, they're keeping that kind of, uh, kind of lore intact. Yeah, and this kind of relates to something else um, in relation to Boba Fett. So whenever we had, you know, of course... Jango Fett be introduced. We found out that he's, of course, you know, not, you know, your typical mm-hmm. Mandalorian. And he's not actually specified in canon as being a foundling of Mandalorians until, of course, Mandalorian season two. And so there was kind of this whole like legends lore, like maybe he killed a Mandalorian and stole the armor. And it was kind of, you know, typically a negative connotation surrounding how Jango Fett got the Mandalorian armor that Boba Fett then uh, dons to wear. And this is kind of something similar, except we see 
that Boba Fett not is not only is brandishing one of these weapons, but he himself made it in the very accepted uh, tribal ways of the Sand People that he was accepted again as a foundling, very much like his father before him was accepted as foundling. So mm-hmm. there's kind of these, you know, these themes and parallels where we get back to like, well, maybe Jango Fett in himself was more of. Uh, a man of honor, like obviously not the most uh, upstanding man of honor, but there's probably something there where, where uh, Bobo was taught to kind of respect these different cultures and to respect, you know, basically the uh, the ways of being a foundling, like accepting mm-hmm. the people that assist you. And so there's a lot of a lot to dive into with all that stuff. Oh, absolutely. I mean, the way I've always interpreted the Django Fett uh, character from the from the prequels is that his honor has always been like the standard you know honor among among thieves the pirates code things like that you know not necessarily um, you know your standard law follower but he's got his own code it, it seemed at least that's how he seemed to me he, like he'd take on a job as a bounty hunter or whatever even though he was employed by the Kaminoan you know who I'm talking about the cloners on Camino I can't I it, I'm stumbling but whatever. <laughs> Um, even though he had nothing to worry about, he had, he was paid for, he's obviously living quite well on Camino when he, as, a, a donor for the cloning process. So he didn't have to take those jobs, but he did anyway. And he performed them well. Yeah. And there's also kind of the theme of his longing to have a companion in the form of a son. And that's mm-hmm. why, of course, we have, you know, Boba Fett in the first place. But, uh, going back to where he is on Tatooine in this episode, we have, you know, very transcontinental theme vibes going on with this train kind of going through the Sand People's territory. And then, of course, as it's going through, um, you know, there's this opposed threat. Like, there's this kind of gunfight every time this train passes through. Um, and so we hear about that, and Boba Fett automatically feels some sort of violation of culture. So again, he's somewhat aware of what is going on, even though he doesn't fully understand the ways of the Sand People yet. He at least understands that this is a violation of the of the creature condition, right? Like whatever mm-hmm. we view about these creatures, like they are being violated by this superior, um, technologically superior. Uh, whatever they are, which we find out what syndicate they belong to later on. But it's kind of interesting that he does that and then goes out of his way and says, you know what, I am actually going to help these sand people. I'm not just going to let them nurse me back to health and let them train me, but I'm going to help them take down this train. And so he steals some of the speeders and um, I didn't catch who this couple was at first. And I'm wondering if you did, or did you have to look them up like I did, the couple that was in the little cantina that was being, you know, raided by these uh, individuals that were stealing stuff in the first episode? Well, to be quite honest, I didn't know who they were until I read the show notes. Um, and even without the show notes, I would have had no clue that they were actually uh, who they were, because I, as I said, when I first joined you on on the show, I'm literally Joe Blow, um, average Joe Star Wars fan. I, I had no idea that there was a couple that was made for a new hope that uh, was cut out. So this was total news to me. For me, they were just a couple that was that happened happened to be in the bar when uh, the bikers got there, and uh, you know, guy was trying to stand up, maybe you know, 
make a better better time for him and his lady. But standing up to the bikers who were doing the wrong thing when Boba came in. That's all they were to me, were a couple of background characters that, that they added to the story, of course. But I didn't know until, like I said, until I read the show notes that there was a little more to them. Yeah, and this was something where I didn't catch it um, off the bat. But what caught my attention was that when we have this this cut and then this transition into this new scene, it starts off with this, uh, with the male character. And then of course they're very uncomfortable with what's going on in the bar. So there's a lot of like close-ups there. Mm -hmm. And so this is very typically, uh, typical and, and some sort of, you know, film technique, like either we're going to watch these two get blasted and that's why they're showing them so close right now, or there, there's some sort of connection later on. And so then, of course, like this was kind of just the discussion uh, mm -hmm. surrounding the show, and and they looked a little too straight out of the 1970s. That made That's me true. think like they look like they might be someone. Um, but this uh, individual, uh, Cami and Lays, and these two were originally written in A New Hope as Luke's uh, two of Luke's like best friends, and there was kind of one scene that I. Uh, was able to find where they were um, basically had some sort of dialogue with Luke, but they, of course, um, Lucasfilm decided to cut it at, you know, out of the film. And it wasn't of anything of importance. These two characters were just literally characters that were cast in the 1970s and then cut. And there was no discussion around them really until uh, The Last Jedi. And so I guess The Last Jedi had a novelization where they are um, a little bit more important. They, they're they a little bit more skilled in what's going on. And kind of the theme of what, especially The Mandalorian is doing, is it's taking these different uh, literature canons um, and then applying them into the film. And so uh, another thing is that like this could have been just like a Favreau Filoni tease, where it's like, hey, we like remember these two people are here. Um, but now that you know that these individuals had kind of uh, more of a center in Star Wars stories, why do you think they were brought back? Do you think we're going to see them again? Um, and again, you kind of said that you have no idea who they are, really. But um, what do you think is going on with these two? Okay, well, based on what you just said, I would say there's a good possibility they'll probably show up again given their connection to Luke, who we saw at the end of uh, the second season of The Mandalorian, take Grogu for training. So they could potentially come up again in the maybe in The Mandalorian as a contact between Mando and uh, Luke for maybe supply runs. Um, they could just be uh, people Luke's using to pass messages back and forth to people because we do know at this time in uh, the timeline – of events luke's still sure doing his getting his jedi thing started he's still really young is like right after return of the jedi so he'll still have the contacts he won't have withdrawn from the universe yet as we learned in um the last jedi movie i think it was the last jedi too wasn't it mm -hmm. that we yeah. learned that but uh yeah, yeah i think it very well could just be contacts so there could be more don't know that's my thought yeah it's just it's interesting that favreau and filoni whose ever idea this originally was to bring these characters in was to do just that i mean they uh and i'm not too aware of what's going on with them i just know that they were mentioned in uh you know what is viewed as the literature side of canon 
And to be fair, like the canon changes every now and then. And this yeah. is kind of what Pablo Hidalgo said, where he's like, you know, don't trust anything until you actually see it on screen. So, and we've seen them be very loose with this as well. Like there was the novelization of Aftermath, where it explains how the Marshal got Boba Fett's armor. And while mm-hmm. the theme is pretty similar, like he got it off some Jawas, there was a little bit more there um, than what was... Uh, you know, in the book. So the the TV series brought a little bit more to that um, canon, kind of, you know, undid a few things. And then, of course, we'll see what they do mm-hmm. with all the High Republic stuff. Like, we can't, you can't fully trust anything until you see it on screen. But this is definitely something where, for some reason, they're bringing them back. And I think that there is going to be some sort of connection there. But we'll have to see how deep that goes because they are a Luke contact like you were saying so like is this something that they're going to relate or connect to what's going on with luke like that seems like you know they're playing with fire a little bit because i mean mark hamill mm-hmm. did fine in uh the mandalorian season two but of course it, there's a body double involved and then a lot of cgi to get the face right and like all this stuff and there was still you know that's that was a very expensive 20 seconds that we got mm-hmm. at the end of the mandalorian so I'm not necessarily saying they got that going on, but maybe these two, maybe this is the moment that makes them a little bit more sinister because I think that based on what I've been reading, they're a little bit more gray. Um, they're not as defined. And then, of course, they're in Tatooine, and Tatooine is never uh, a safe place. And this is where, you know, just as humans are complex, like even the most peaceful human could get a little bit of rage in them if, you know, they're. Uh, if their human or their pod is uh, being threatened. So maybe mm-hmm. we see some stuff going on there. Maybe they assist Boba Fett in the modern day with the stuff he's got going on. Who knows? But it's just a very interesting, interesting characters to pick, in my opinion, to bring back into the Star Wars, you know, TV show uh, canon. Yeah, and there is always one other possibility, too. They could have very easily just picked these characters knowing that people like us are going to pick up on it and talk about it. And they're just going, here, here's something to talk about. And we may never see them again. Yep. That is also a possibility. Now, what we see with Boba Fett after this is, of course, he goes through and has this awesome Western style, uh, you know, bar fight where at the end he takes, you know, a drink of the liquor and walks out of the bar like, you know, the, you know, the just the bad dude that he is right and he takes mm-hmm. the other people's horses with him and takes them back to the sand people in the form of speeders right and this is where he concocts some sort of plan using the speeders to stop the train um and then he himself trains the sand people to use the speeders and so there's kind of uh there's not a whole lot to dive into there other than this is like classic you know yeah uh western type of theme where it's like the uh, you know the outlaw comes in and helps train you know the the natives into how to defeat you know the the economics or the government at hand here um now a couple of things that like i really enjoyed with this is um as a history teacher and as someone who um studies it quite extensively and we have obviously the theme of the transcontinental railroad Typically in film, there's always like a white character that saves, you know, the natives from mm-hmm. the the perceived bad white people and all that stuff. That's not what happens here because, of course, we have Boba Fett is not this Caucasian individual and he doesn't represent any type of Caucasian as he himself is played by, you know, a uh, not, of course, Native American, but a native in his own land as a native islander. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, we get this really cool scene where... 
he's the one training them and kind of taking that theme that's president, of course, um, Lawrence of Arabia and, and uh, um, all these other classic, you know, uh, period pieces where we see this go down, but it's kind of a different take on it. And so that was uh, a lot of fun to see. And, um, you know, of course, you get this landscape of this desert, a lot of Western vibes. Now, do you appreciate that Favreau seems to call back to all these themes of, you know, Western? And then, of course, the Mandalorian, there was a mixture of Western and Samurai. Are you appreciating that he's doing that or is it sometimes too much for you? Oh, no, no. Yeah, I'm quite appreciative of it. Um, both themes, as a matter of fact. Uh, Western, you can't see it because the way my camera's set up, and of course you guys are listening at home, can't see it at all. But behind my head, um, there's a little uh, Franklin Mint statue that used to be my uncle's, but it's John Wayne. And if you know anything about Westerns, you know that name. Mm-hmm. Um, so I appreciate the Western themes. I always have. I'm a big Western fan. Um, so this was this episode, as far as like what was going on in the, in the past, with the Sand People and equating everything the way you did with the horses and, the, and, the, and the, the great train robbery and all that. It was right up my alley. Loved it. And as far as the uh, the samurai thing goes, it's another thing I really enjoy too. I'm not a history teacher, but I like doing research for some strange reason. And I have in the past, when I was taking Shotokan Karate myself, looked into the history and whatnot of where these arts came from. And I have a real appreciation for the the Bushido that goes in the code that the samurais lived by. And in some part, they're getting that across in what Boba Fett is doing. And even in the scene down, down the road there, just before we go to modern day, when he comes out and he's been dressed and whatnot by the sand people in their, what their traditional garb. Um, if you want a good example of how that is done historically accurate and you're a movie fan, watch The Last Samurai because that is almost beat for beat from that kind of a movie. Yeah. And of course, this is based in a lot of books because even though um, uh, The Last Samurai in itself has been in- inspired by a lot of literature, mm-hmm. it's not necessarily based on, you know, a true story. Um, but it's a, you're exactly right. Like these are traditions that have been passed down and that. Um, starting with George Lucas himself, has integrated into his films. And now Favreau takes that to another level. And I would like to think that this is like a collaboration with, you know, some of the actors that are from, you know, these various traditions uh, Mm -hmm. that are, you know, kind of saying like, hey, that this is how this would be done. But yeah, you're absolutely right to this kind of, and, and in my opinion, and like you were saying, it's very symbolic. Like there's something physical going on where you're getting dressed in the robe, but the tradition isn't just to dress them in the robe because they can't dress themselves. There's some sort of ceremony behind Mm -hmm. it. And there's, you know, this symbolic transformation that you are, you know, somewhat leaving your old self behind and you're becoming this newer version of yourself that is more evolved, more complex. And that is quite frankly, uh, you know, this better version of yourself, which is a tradition in a lot of, these um, various cultures that are around the world, especially the ones that date closer to ancient cultures where that is very much a thing. And so we had a whole conversation about, you know, did we imagine Boba Fett as kind of this, this brooding force who was, uh, you know, showed no mercy uh, in the last episode. And now, you know, for me, this was kind of uh, therapeutic where it's like, this is, I am watching this new version of, 
Boba Fett be made in the same way that he himself is changing. And so I don't know if that was intentional, like if it was for the audience or if it was just, you know, to show the roundness of this character, but it did it for me where like now I can watch it and it's like all my preconceptions about Boba Fett, I can lay at the door because I watched this transformation into this new person with a new set of skills and a new set of, uh, you know, philosophy really and psychology going on. And so it was really cool for me to um, experience this on screen. Yeah, it absolutely was. Um, and you're absolutely right. Like, in that's kind of a culture. It's you don't get this. You don't just get the robes. You don't get the training that he got through this in this type of a culture. You have to earn that, which he started last episode by saving the child from that cre- that, that sand creature. Um, yeah, if this was happening in real life, it would be a long, arduous ordeal to get to the point where we saw him go to, uh, at the end of this and near the middle of this episode, at the end of the past, uh, flashback, he wouldn't just, they wouldn't just give that to anybody. They wouldn't just do that for anybody as everything was ritualized. Uh, the dressing of the robes, the making of, as you mentioned before, the making of the gaffy stick in your own style, um, in the time-honored tradition with the hand tools and whatnot, no lasers, anything like that. All that stuff is all Eastern-based and extremely, extremely hard to get to. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and uh, we have that the ways, like you were saying, the ways that he earns it, and it's not you know just that he helped them take down this train, but like you were oh, no. saying, he brought back the child. And then, of course, when we first encounter the train and there are some sand people that are wounded and killed, he carries back mm-hmm. the you know, the corpse of one of them kind of showing this, like, uh, basically he's showing that he's willing to inconvenience himself to bring back this individual that he has not really connected with because he, they don't speak the same language. And so this is like, he's kind of had a couple of grunts and like sign languagey stuff going on and some nods going on with this character, but nothing beyond that. And so it shows that he, um, is aware of what's going on. And then we find that, that this isn't just a train that's taking a shortcut through the sand people's territory, but these are members of the Pike syndicate that are running spice and uh, you know, kind of some comedy there where he Boba Fett is aware. He knows just based on who's in front of him. He's kind of picking up like, Oh, okay. Yeah. These are, these are Pikes and I know what the Pikes do. So he just asks him like, are you guys running some spice? And then the, main guy's like, yeah, what does that look like? And right when a box breaks yeah. open behind him and, you know, some funny stuff going on with that. Uh, but this to me, and I'm wondering if you picked up on the same thing. So of course in the, before Lucasfilm sold to Disney, there was this development of this underworld series in the star Wars universe where it was going to just explore the underbelly of Uh, of the galaxy that's going on and so again the tv shows have not gone away from that idea or that rumor and then of course we get that in solo where it's like that is the underbelly Mm -hmm. they are dealing with the underworld directly and now we have the pikes back who were we first kind of see them on the screen in the clone wars and they're you know this ruthless you know spice running uh syndicate and for me it's like we're we might be getting that exploration of this kind of broader underbelly like they're setting the foundation to do something uh you know maybe they don't do what the fans want and they don't do the solo two type of thing but we know they're doing something with lando if you do something with lando you're doing something with han hopefully 
So maybe they are doing some broader explanation uh, or exploration of this underbelly. Like, did you pick up on that? Are you thinking that we're going into the exploration of more syndicates and maybe Maul comes back in the future? I'm thinking so, because... And as soon as I saw, as soon as I saw the mask, the first thing I went, to, oh, it's the Pikes. Okay, I, I kind of the same thing. I kind of see where this is going. Um, but as, as an overall, like where they could go, yeah, absolutely. I could see um, anything from from any 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 parts where the uh, the underbelly was. Anything from Solo. Anything from Clone Wars. Even some of the stuff from Rebels would uh, fit in there. With like Visago, we could see him come back even. Um, and it just, it really just depends on where they decide to put everything in the, in the various timelines of the various shows. So yeah, absolutely. There, there could be some stuff from, uh, the underbelly. Um, we could see some more of the pirates, uh, from rebels and clone wars coming back. It's, there's lots of stuff they could explore and it would, it'd be well worth it. I think. Yeah. yeah and it's just a rich area of content and you, you would think that that's why, uh, Favreau was drawn to this type of storyline with Boba Fett, which kind of gets us into what's going on in the present with him, where, you know, we have the last time we saw him in the present, there was an issue going down with some assassins. They tried assassinating him. He gets injured a little bit. And we have uh, Finnick, who captures one of the assassins, and they bring them uh, they bring this assassin into Jabba's lair, puts him on the, you know, the false flooring of, uh, you know, of the Rancor pit and um, basically threatens him uh, by dropping him in there. And we hear that he, of course, has heard the rumors of what goes on in this pit. So he quickly throws the mayor under the bus and we we see that the mayor is a very interesting individual this is also an individual who doesn't belong in tatooine this is not a native tatooine this is not this isn't even a species that is thriving in tatooine at the time but we see that they might be a tad bit opportunistic um Mm -hmm. maybe exploitive maybe there's something to be gained with this mayor because i mean he offs this assassin within seconds oh, yeah, right and quick. claims yeah, and claims that like oh yes you did my work for me thank you so much for policing these assassins that aren't supposed to be over in your territory making it doing jobs um but we have kind of this this mayor now are they too mysterious do they have something to gain what are you what are your thoughts with this mayor i don't think we're done with him i really don't i think there's gonna be something coming down the line either later on in the season with the few episodes we have left or in season two, if there is one or even in one of the other shows, but this guy's coming back. I think he's just, he's just, he's the perfect character to try to drive something around. I don't know what, I have no idea. They didn't give us too, too much to work with, uh, with this episode, as far as trying to, you know, predict where that storyline may go, whether we see him again here in the book of Boba Fett, don't know, but I think we are going to see this guy again. He's set up. He's set up in such a way that he is uh, one of those characters that you know is going to come back. You know he's going to not necessarily be a good guy, but you're going to see him. Um, I think he would in the Mandalorian uh, probably equate close to the uh, the Imperial guy that was uh, first hunting uh, Grogu when we knew him just as the child. Yep. I think he's that kind of character. We might see him again for you know a, a big episode down the line, and then not much after that, but. 
he's definitely going to come back in some form and he's going to be associated with something that's not so great. Yep. Yeah, and this is something where there are a few hints here, right? Like he's mm-hmm. the, the character itself looks like it's, you know, more uh it's more of a puppet or animatronic than CG. And so anytime mm-hmm. you see dedication to that type of artwork, you know that they're not just going to use them once and be done with it. So there's that hint there. And there's also this He's willing to help out Boba Fett, but he's also, he wants to make it known that he's not really helping him. He just basically says, hey, if you are wondering what's going on, just go down to Madame Garza's sanctuary. Like, I'm not going to tell you what's going on. Like, of course, he knows what's happening. He could have told them right then that the twins were in town and they mm-hmm. want Jabba's throne. But, and maybe that's why he didn't, uh, you know, pay tribute to Boba Fett in a public way. And maybe it's because he already paid his tribute to the twins. Who knows what's going on with this character? But, you know, he knows what's going on and he could just tell Boba Fett straight up. But they send Boba Fett to Madame Garza's sanctuary, which is kind of that casino uh ask place and when he gets there she's a little shaken up like she she understands that something's about to go down there's something going on with these twins that we haven't necessarily seen yet um but if they're cousins of jabba mm-hmm. then we know that they're not to be trifled with and so this is kind of one of those things where it they, they could spend a whole season just him defending his throne against these two and what's going on here i don't know if that's what they're doing but that it, this show has gotten double as rich as it was um, in the first episode because they just opened up all these doors with these characters who are kind of like these weird twins that have some sort of awkward, maybe what one would say, unnatural relationship. Like there's something going on with these two that is just uncomfortable and they want they want their cousins thrown they want to be they want to be the ruler of you know uh you know tatooine basically they want to be the ruler of tatooine's underbelly and they want all the benefit for themselves to the point that they bring in a classic an instant classic i should say it's not a classic classic but this instant classic wookie gladiator character now when you saw this character again were you aware that this was someone from the past of comic book lore, or was it just kind of this cool, you know, badass-looking Wookiee? It was definitely the cool, badass-looking Wookiee. That's really all he was to me. I knew what he was there for. The style of dress was quite obviously this was a this was an enforcer of some description. But beyond that, um, no, I had no idea. I never really read the see the Vader comic books or whatever comic books he's from. But the idea behind him, I really like. Yeah, I mean, who wouldn't be and they're, looking at that and going, hmm, am I going to have to do something with this today? Yeah, and it's this is obviously a you know classic uh, costume for a Wookiee. Again, not CG. There's a lot of dedication that has been um, added to this character to the point where it is just ripped off the page of the comic. So there's, I don't know if it was in the Vader comic. I think we may have seen it in the Vader comic, but it's in like kind of the Dr. Aphra uh, Mm. comics where we see um, this character and he is just right off the page. Like I was saying, like every attention to detail was made for this show. So obviously this was someone that Filoni and Favreau were looking close at to bring in. And for those of those that haven't read the comics, or there's probably no need to actually read it. Um, this is, again, that's kind of, 
the way that the novels and the comics work are if you want to get some of the nuggets early, if you want to be the fans that like see things and you're like, oh yeah, I know that reference type of person, um, you know, maybe go back and read some of this stuff. But basically in the comics, you have Boba Fett. We all know that Boba Fett was hired by the uh, Empire or at least Vader to help track down um, Luke in the form of basically you find us Luke and then if you find Luke you'll find Solo and if you find Solo you can keep Solo like that whole type of instance going on with the Empire and Boba Fett's relationship but what we see in the comic is that the two were actually hired together and this Wookiee was hired to go after this other character and we just learned that this Wookiee also has a very particular set of skills. This Wookiee is not someone to be challenged because, of course, they are a Wookiee. But this might be the best warrior Wookiee that is in the Star Wars galaxy that we've seen up to this point. I mean, before, that was kind of like Tarful, right? When we saw Tarful in Revenge of the Sith, he was kind of that character. And now it looks like it's this Black Curse uh, Santin. Um, that is now this uh, this gladiator-esque Wookiee. Um, really cool stuff going on. I hope we see more conflict than, uh, than friendship between them and Boba Fett because Boba Fett seemed aware of this person. Like, you see them kind of acknowledge one another and Boba Fett makes a comment about him, but it doesn't seem like they were, like, buddies that worked for the same boss before. So... They might undo some of the stuff that we saw in that comic, but this is also a hint that we might be seeing other characters from that specific comic show up in this book of Boba Fett. Yeah, and from the look of just basing solely on the look of the character, if uh, more of the characters from the comic at the very least look like him, I'm gonna be glad to see him. Like, I'm not gonna go out and try to do the research because there's just so much out there to, uh, to to try to find, but. Yeah, if these characters are, that they're bringing in are solid characters and are going to do well, I'm glad to see them. I don't care where they come from. If they come from the novels and from the Legends novels or the comic uh, canon or wherever, as long as the characters are solid and add to the story, I'm good with them. Yeah. Well, other than that, Dave, what has been your biggest takeaway of Chapter 2 of the Book of Boba Fett? I really liked the attention that the sand uh, people culture has been been given the tuscan raiders i mean that's something we've never really seen beyond them taking pot shots at uh, pod races and showing up you know and beating up luke and taking his trying to take a speeder or they've just been so they're so they're so essential to star wars yet we've never actually until this point been actually given what they are as a as a people we got a few hints from uh, the prequel trilogy, when it, where Anakin goes and slaughters a village of them. So, okay, they live in villages now. Cool. But this is the first time we've actually gotten part of their culture. And I'm really appreciative of that because when when you're in this universe, you know everybody's got a culture, including the Jawas and the Sand People. And I'm glad that we're actually starting to see some of that. Yeah, and it's kind of this deeper um, and more diverse culture within the culture itself, too. Like Because when Boba Fett's communicating with them, he... You know, he hears that some, for some Tusken Raider cultures, they are thriving and surviving based on uh, stealing and based on, you know, taking over when other villages are just focused on surviving. They just want to live peacefully and they want to live away from everything. They don't want to be impacted by, you know, the nearest um, 
city as much as that city wants to be impacted by that uh you know the nearest tuscan raider village mm-hmm. so a lot of stuff going on um really deep stuff going on like there there is a theme in films and television where they kind of just gloss over uh cultures that we may not understand and this one's like you know a deep dive like you know master class on tuscan raider culture and i am here for every minute of it me as well well you can keep up with the show on twitter at star wars tv talk and by emailing us at hello at star wars tv talk.com you can find the rest of our shows online at star wars tv talk.com and by searching for star wars tv talk wherever you get your podcasts also please don't forget to leave us a five-star review you can find more tv talk podcasts at tv talk.fm thank you so much for listening and may the force be with you always